Chapter Twenty of the Fairy of the Snows by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twenty, introducing Mister Lawson with very promising results for the Murrows. For Alice Murrow, April, May, and June were strenuous months. I saw little of her; she was too busy but hardly a week passed without my receiving reports from various quarters bearing upon her movements. Sister Rosalie, the kind, sympathetic teacher of shorthand, was almost as enthusiastic as Alice herself. "'The child,' she remarked on one occasion, "'has a marvellous memory. She can finish all I have to teach her in stenography by the first of May, and then it will only be a question of getting speed. She is the best speller in the class.' and partly owing to the reading she has done partly to her natural gift of imagination she is beyond all doubt the finest english scholar that has come into my hands since we began our two-year business course as for the typewriter you can blindfold her and she'll do much better work than the rest of the others with their eyes open i really think father that your little plan will work out sister marie teacher of the other branches in the business class also brought in a fine report "'I don't know what you're up to, Father,' she said. "'It's a dead secret,' I interpolated. "'But I hope you are not going to give Alice her certificate or diploma, "'as having made successfully our business course after one year. "'It would be a bad precedent. "'All the girls want to finish in a year, "'and our plan of studies would be ruined.' "'Sister, remain calm. "'I have no intention of giving Alice her diploma.' Not that she isn't fit as regards the subject matter, for she is, but because she has not gone through the fixed periods we require. Sister Marie, I'll stand by all the precedents. I never saw a girl so changed. She goes to communion every morning, and while she is the merriest, brightest girl in the class, she is also the most devout. Sickness, we are often told, seldom improves anyone. All the same, since Alice left the hospital, she has been a different person. Miss Margaret Dalton, the indefatigable, also had her comments to make. "'I go to the Murrows every week,' she told me one morning, "'and the cleanness, the good taste, the refinement in that poor tenement is simply astonishing.' Little Elsie keeps the little ones dressed like children of the royal blood. She herself is a little saint. She says that God wants her to take Margaret's place. Mrs. Murrow herself, though rather tired at times, is a new woman. With the children she is a child again, and her laugh is as sweet and as simple as theirs. Francis is a brave little man, and assists Elsie, Alice, and the mother in every way. The baby is plump and never cries unless you stick a pin in him. But the bright, particular light of the household is Alice. In the one detail of cooking, she can make something out of nothing. The meals are good, and thanks to the art instinct of Alice, dainty too. And still the expenses for food are lighter than in many families where the meals are far inferior. After supper, all turn in, save the baby, and clean up. It is done with dispatch, and then Alice gets the children around her, and keeps them occupied with games or listening to stories until half-past seven or so. And then comes bedtime for Francis. Then, seated at the table with the lamp between them, Alice and Elsie go to work at their studies. At nine, Elsie goes off to her devotions, which are long, while Alice continues studying sometimes till eleven o'clock. Father Carney, wealth, millions of money, could not buy the happiness of that poor family. Thanks to you and your sister, Miss Dalton. To you, Father. We'd never have taken up the case if it had not been for you. 
yes, but if you had followed my foolish advice, you'd have given them up long ago. Don't you remember when I advised you to turn them over to the Humane Society? I lost patience, but you did not. But look how you have influenced Alice. Somehow the family turns around her. She had, toward the end, a wonderful influence over her father. Many a night, as I have since learned, she gave up her studies just to keep him interested and entertained. She knew by intuition, it may be, when his craze for drink was on him, and then she dropped everything to care for him. Another light, I exclaimed. This will account, in part, at least, for Alice's apparent neglect of studies after the first quarter of the present school year. And sometimes, continued Miss Dalton, she has gone out at nights at the very beginning of one of his drinking bouts, and succeeded in getting him home. Her mother was never able to do that. In a word, Miss Dalton, Alice is, and has been, a heroine. The fairy of her home, father. Here I proceeded to tell Miss Dalton of our little plan, the secret known only to three, now revealed to a fourth. Miss Dalton was more enthusiastic than any of us. What a fine idea, she said. Father, if my sister and I can help in any way, let us know. Money or anything in our power. Thank you, Miss Dalton. What the girl will need by the first of May is plenty of practice at taking dictation. Father, what do you think of this plan? My sister Mary has charge of all our business matters, and just now there is a great deal to be attended to. The correspondence is heavy, and probably will be so for six weeks. We could hire a typewriting machine, and Alice could give us a couple of hours a day. I am sure my sister would be delighted to work with us, and besides, Alice could earn a little money. I reflected a moment. How would from half-past nine to twelve each morning suit you? It would be just the right time. Mary gives all the morning hours to business letters, and just now is not able to get through her work. I am sure she will be delighted. Miss Dalton was right. Her sister, duly acquainted with the secret, said that Margaret's plan was the solution of a difficulty which had been growing each day. Alice was at once pressed into service. The Daltons lived full two miles from St. Xavier's School. At the suggestion of Dr. Kelly, Alice walked thither and back each day, thereby doing away with the one weak point in our plan, to wit, the danger to the child's health from too much work and too little fresh air and exercise. The secret circle grew wider, still retaining its secret. Alice had once referred to the stenographer of my sodality, who had offered to help her in the learning of the typewriter. The young lady in question was Miss Florence Desmond. Connected for years with one of the great law firms of Cincinnati, Florence was not only an expert at shorthand and stenography, but was also familiar with a variety of mercantile forms, and with those devices of method and order made use of in modern business offices. It was Alice herself who suggested making Miss Desmond acquainted with the great secret. "'You see, Father, she's been so good to me. It is to her I owe my success in typewriting. She's been very kind. And besides, if she knows it's your plan, she will do anything to help.' She knows so much, and she has a gift for communicating knowledge. A capital suggestion, Alice. She is often free from three to four in the afternoon, and I know she will be only too glad to give you hints outside of Sister Rosalie's matter, which will be of great help to you. And, Father, continued Alice, taking out a little book, please look at this. It was a savings account book of the Pearl Street Market Bank, made out in the name of Alice Morrow. I opened it. There is the record of two deposits of five dollars each on May 7th and on May 14th. Good gracious, I said. What's this? Some of my earnings, father. 
I am getting six dollars a week, and Mama twelve. We got along very nicely on twelve, but now we're living at thirteen a week. Of course we've been helped a good deal, and we're all well provided with shoes and clothes. Every week now, with Mama's approval, I'm to put away five dollars. Capital, I exclaimed. Now run away, child, and tell our secret to Miss Desmond. There are many generous, whole-souled, devoted people in this world, and it has been my happy fortune to meet a goodly number of them. Of these, Miss Desmond was by no means the last. She took Alice in hand for an hour almost every day with gratifying results. The secret spread further. Miss Desmond knew other young women, most of them belonging to the young lady sodality, who were specialists in various lines of business. With the permission of our secret society, she got them interested, too. The whole work of coaching Alice, beginning with Sister Rosalie, down to Miss Desmond, and three capable young women, was distinguished by enthusiasm, unselfishness, and love. The little girl won the hearts of all. On June 19th, Alice did not come to class. She was not ill, I informed the regular teacher. She would appear the next day. The cause of her disappearance, I added, was a dead secret. How long? asked Sister Marie who, though saintly, was, thank God, human. How long is this mystery to remain unexplained? In a few days, I made answer, all will be made manifest. And so it came about. The morning newspapers, four days later, announced that the civil service examination held on June 19th for several stenographic positions at $900 a year, Miss Alice Murrow had been first with a percentage of 97. The business class was given a holiday. It turned out that Miss Merrill, being only fifteen years of age, was ineligible, but that bit of information I had discounted. The glory for the school was all the greater, while Alice's chances for a good position were vastly improved by the publicity given her abilities. One of the men who came into my office to congratulate me was Mr. John R. Lawson, the finest scientist in his own particular branch I have ever known, and the humblest man outside of one or two followers of the religious life I have ever met. Mr. Lawson and I had been, though we met each other rarely, good friends for years. One of the things which had drawn me to him was his exceeding kindness and brotherliness to every man and woman in his employment. They loved to work for him. He loved to look out for their interests. It had struck me that his attitude toward those working under him was Christ-like. Father, he said, I came to congratulate you on the honor won for your school by that young woman. Thank you, Mr. Lawson. Her success has made me and others very happy. But you have one detail wrong. She is not a young woman. Are there any boys that go by the name of Alice? No, but there are girls. Alice Merrow is a child of fifteen. Indeed, why that is astonishing. Let me congratulate you again. Yes, but there's a fly in the ointment. Because of her age, Alice cannot obtain the position. And she needs it? Yes. How is she in English? Good, far beyond the average. She is a great reader, and for her age, speaks excellently. She knows her Dickens, and is now in love with Thackeray. Even in poetry she is well read. Father, you interest me more than you imagine. How about her spelling and punctuation? She is so good that I would not hesitate to send her to any printer's office as a proofreader. Excuse me, Father, I am afraid I may seem bold, but could I see the girl for a few minutes? Certainly, it will be a pleasure. The Fairy of the Snows presently entered. She was still radiant with the joy of her recent success, the more so as she knew that her own triumph was a triumph for the school. 
how different from the tiny fairy of five years ago. Health and happiness marked her features. She was well-grown, well-developed for her years, and dressed no longer like a fairy of the snows, but like a good, self-respecting, tasty, modest girl. Mr. Lawson, in his gentle and cordial way, quickly made Alice perfectly at home with him. He said very little, but his questions were so cleverly put that Alice, within nine or ten minutes, gave us both a very fair idea of her range of reading and her literary views. Mr. Lawson, possibly because he was both a literary and a scientific man, showed a skill in questioning which I could not but admire. It is a pleasure to study clever men in action. So tactfully did he proceed that Alice did not so much as suspect that she was being examined by a man who had specialized in drawing out other people's knowledge. "'Good-bye, Mr. Lawson. I am very pleased to have met you, and I hope we shall see each other again,' said Alice in leaving the room, with, of course, her great curtsy. "'Father, pardon me. I am taking up your time.' Don't mention it. I have not lost a moment of time since you came in. I'm ashamed to impose on you, but could you give me something of that girl's family history? Gladly, I said. Father, said Mr. Lawson, after I had told him the main facts set down in this narrative, I think that God sent me in here this morning. I was going along west on 6th, when in passing from Byway to Sycamore, I recalled that you were in your office, as you once told me, every morning. I felt an impulse to call on you for a moment. You know, I've not been here for two years. Reason, however, ruled out impulse. Reason said, You have no business there, and Father Carney must be busy. I was about to abandon the idea, when suddenly there flashed through my memory a news item concerning the success of a girl in your school in the civil service examination. I've always been interested in examinations. In fact, I've been on examining boards off and on these last twenty-five years. "'And you are considered an expert,' I ventured to say. "'No better than the others, Father, "'only I am always so anxious to find out what young people know.' "'I could see that a moment ago,' said I. "'Some examiners who are much cleverer than I,' "'continued Mr. Lawson simply, "'seem to be trying to find out what people don't know. "'That's not hard. "'We're all ignorant in so many ways. "'Why, Father, if you were to go at me in that direction, "'you could keep me making professions of ignorance "'for the next twenty-four hours.' "'And this I reflected from the best-informed man "'that had entered my office since his last visit, "'a man, moreover, who in his own line of research "'is second to none in the Western Hemisphere. "'But to return to our mutton, "'I came here to congratulate you, "'and I find a little girl here, good as gold, refined, frank, "'and with, I believe, just the qualifications I am looking for.' "'What's that?' I said. "'Father Carney, you know that I write stuff of a lighter nature now and then.' "'I have read several of your novels, and with great pleasure, Mr. Lawson.' "'Thank you, Father. Well, I am getting old, and it's time for me to take in sail. "'My fingers are rather stiff, and I rarely use the pen in consequence. "'Things have come to a pass where I can do away with much of routine office work, "'and I intend writing another novel, if it please God to give me a few years more.' and to put in order for publication a number of scientific papers. I have had plenty of stenographers, very good ones, all of them, but they were business stenographers. As I intend to dictate my entire novel, and possibly others later, I want someone who can spell, and above all, punctuate, and paragraph properly. Good gracious, I exclaimed. That little girl, from what I have seen of her, and from what you have told me, would, in spite of her age, be just the sort I want. She has the literary sense. 
I am not a literary feller, as you are, Mr. Lawson, but it has often struck me that Alice Merle hasn't heard the stuff of which writers are made. I think you are right, Father Carney, and if you are, I shall be a very happy man. It will settle a vexed question, and I shall be very, very grateful to you. Not so grateful, Mr. Lawson, as I am to you. Is the girl free yet? At once. Well, I can easily find out whether she will do. Could I try her in the outer office? Certainly, and I hope she will get the position. You know, Father, I am not a Catholic, but no man outside your faith respects it more. How can anyone visit Montreal and the old Canadian settlements without revering the church which made these people what they are? Your little girl, I assure you, will be safeguarded in her religion. You needn't tell me that, Mr. Lawson. Some of my stylists have worked for you, and I am free to say that I know of no man in Cincinnati to whom I would so soon trust Alice Morrow. No one has ever paid me a nicer compliment. All I can say is that I'll try so to act as to deserve it. Alice was again examined. She took his dictation for fifteen minutes, and a half hour later returned with a bundle of papers. Mr. Lawson went over several pages, slowly, carefully, while Alice waited in a thrill of expectancy. Her face, as he went from page to page, brightened. At the seventh page he stopped. "'There's no need to go further,' he said. "'Father, I congratulate you again. She knows punctuation better than I do. Her paragraphing, a little different than mine, is very good, and her spelling, excellent. The girl can come to my office tomorrow, and if she's worth nine hundred a year to the city, she's worth that to me, too. What do you say to that, Alice? Nine hundred a year, and if you keep improving, one hundred a month from the first of January. Alice looked at me, and then at Mr. Lawson. She had grown very pale. Suddenly, just like the very little child of former years, she rushed to my side. Oh, father, she cried, and pillowed her head upon my arm. Gently conducting her to a chair, for I fear she was on the point of fainting, I accompanied Mr. Lawson to the vestibule. That little cry of hers, Oh, Father, he said in low tones, and that little gesture of complete confidence in you rounds off the examination. She has just unwittingly told me that in addition to her literary knowledge, her splendid memory, her quickness in taking dictation, and putting it on paper, she has, in spite of her fifteen years, the sweetness, the innocence, the delicate purity of a little child. Father, how do you Catholics triumph so over heredity and environment? For the answer to that, Mr. Lawson, you must go to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. That girl, almost without interruption since her first communion, has received Christ each morning. God keep her innocent and bright. And so the great man departed, leaving me very happy and very thankful. End of chapter 20 Recording by Maria Therese